Hello, and thank you for tuning in to The Escafil Files, a book analysis podcast where one diehard fan and one newbie start yet another podcast about Animorphs, the children's book series by K.A. Applegate. I'm Danielle, I use she or they pronouns, and you can find me on the internet at Talk 90 and my co-host is Jade. Hello, I'm Jade, you can find me around on the internet at jadeoxfordrose, and I use they, them pronouns. We'll be making our way through the books one book at a time, analyzing the themes and how they stand up to time, and sharing the experience with our friends on Discord, the link to which you can find in the show notes. Today, we're talking about Megamorphs 3, Elfangor's Secret. Uh, everyone has heard me talking about the lead-up to this book, because <laughs> I was mad about it. So mad. Uh, I am pleased to report that the grossness in the beginning is shorter than I remember, uh, and the rest of the book is really very solid. Uh, but we'll we'll get into that a little bit. <laughs> Before we dive into the discussion, some content warnings up front uh, for racism, sexism, ableism, fascism. Uh, most of those are pretty solidly contained in like the first five chapters, but I imagine we're going to be talking about them for a while. Um, uh, also explicitly described war and war deaths, gun violence, so much gun violence, mm -hmm. uh, disassociation, uh, a kind of typical American view of history, uh, specifically glorification of like the founding fathers. Um, and major character death. That got an eye emoji when uh, Danielle gave me that warning before reading it. I was like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, this book. Let us, this is the most Doctor Who of Animorphs <laughs> we've read so far. Yeah. I gotta say, like, I love me some time travel shenanigans. I really do. Like, the implication, like, I mean, the whole thing is based around, like, the kids trying to stop someone fucking with history. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I just genuinely love that kind of narrative. And yes, there's always conveniences and stable time loops and things like that. And it's just like, I just like stories that explore that because I think time travel is cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, frustratingly, nearly every uh, place the kids go to uh, is bad. And like, they are literally, not to put a moral like assignment on it, but literally they are in the middle of very bad situations. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're essentially jumping between from one war to another. Uh, yeah, it's all major conflicts. Yeah. Or um, I should say key battles mm -hmm. during conflict, major conflicts. Yeah. yeah. So they they get that, a whole that, lot of trauma shoved into like mm. the span of 2 hours. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Just this this book is definitely everything happens so much. Mhm. Mm like the, this one's right up there. So Mm-hmm. But um I definitely feel like a lot some of the well, I suppose the second Megamorphs was pretty solid in that regard, but this one I feel does a really good job of mm -hmm. working with the the rotating uh narrators. Yeah, narrators. it does. Yeah. Uh and getting the different kids' perspectives on what's going on mm -hmm. and how they're all dealing with it. And when we get to uh major character death. I've got a couple of observations about a thing that kind of surprised me, but in a good way, narrated with certain characters' reactions, mm -hmm. which I am excited to talk about. Mm -hmm. But yeah. uh, before we get to the stuff we're excited to talk about, <laughs> <laughs> um, the thing is, this prologue, well, first the, we first we have the prologue, which is um, about Elfangor. Given the yep. title of the book, Elfango's Secret, and it is the confirmation regarding the time matrix. Right. I said we were uh, going to talk about this Buckwild cover. I was going to say, did you want to talk about the cover? 
what the fuck is going on with this cover? <laughs> like, I know that that's definitely Rachel and that's definitely Cassie. And I'm fairly certain that's the same kid they've used for Marco. But I'm fairly certain the kid that I assume is meant to be Tobias because he's blonde is definitely no. been used on a Jake cover. Oh, that's meant to be Jake, and I that's just why is that Jake? Yes. And then is this meant to be Tobias with yes. the long dark hair? Yes. What the fuck is that? So you one have thing... you have messed up your cover. <laughs> yes. The one thing you may not have noticed so far is that this person on the left has been the person they use for Tobias. Um they 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 just used a dude who looks nothing like Tobias. Um, right around... It's like towards the very end of the series, they actually get a correct mm. actor to to portray him on the covers um, who doesn't look like this. No, um, this is no shade to this poor child model. Like... <laughs> The 90s was not kind to many people, sartorially <laughs> speaking. But that's bad. Yep. The one Tobias vibe about this is how uncomfortable he looks. But <laughs> like, yes, sure, that you can have. Yeah. Um, it's just everybody is really strangely posed, and I am upset with the amount of abs that is on Axe. <laughs> Like, I appreciate you need a lot of core strength if you have that kind of shaped anatomy. I appreciate uh -huh. that. But I do not... Him having abs is very upsetting. <laughs> Just like somebody decided, oh, yeah, this alien needs more abs. Does it? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why, though? <laughs> they wouldn't be shaped like human abs anyway. They'd be, like, further down. Mm-hmm. No points in xenobiology art. Bad. <laughs> Do not like. And the arms are too muscular too. Yeah. But that's just... It's yep. it's very well established that antelites have noodle arms. Mm-hmm. That's why we like them. They have no upper body strength. <laughs> that's what makes them relatable as a species. The more I look at that, the more angry I get. I need to scroll down. <laughs> just keep looking at it and just feel my rage increasing. Like the more I, the more details I take in, the more I'm just like, and that seems wrong, and that looks bad. <laughs> Let's talk about this prologue. Let's talk about the prologue. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So the prologue is, uh, we get kind of, it, it's a brief summary. Um, it's like half a page, maybe, um, of Elfangor after the events of the Andalite Chronicles being just tired of being a failure, um, or what he thinks of as a failure, uh, landing on Earth, um, morphing to human and deciding to stay a Nothlet. Um, uh, he finds an empty place, nothing but trees. Um, I love this detail using only the equipment available to any human. He dug a hole and rolled the device into it. The device being the time matrix. He covered it. And then he morphed to human. Which, alright, you had a really good, like, imagery there of, like, someone digging, like, manually digging a hole in order to bury this device that is bigger than a human like to go through that physical effort in order to do that but we, as we've established andalites are noodly armed and there is no way he could handle a shovel to dig that big of a hole i could present to you an unlikely but hilarious visual instead if you would like uh-huh andalite pilot Iga jcb <laughs> That yes, is, that, <laughs> the caterpillars that are only available to every human. <laughs> yeah, any human can probably go hire one. <laughs> Definitely place it. Like, just you've got a license for this. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, 
They're the visual, I suppose, of an Andalite using its tail blade like a shovel is good, but it's, like you say, it's expressly said, equipment available to any human. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, would have been fixed if they just did where, like, he morphed human, and then as the two hours passed, he was digging this hole. Like, that's a very poignant Mm, scene of, of, like, burying, literally burying your past. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, just, just could have been better than this confusing stuff. There's a couple of moments like that in here where it's just like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they just clearly didn't like fully like, think it through. Yeah, they didn't fully think it through, or you know, an editor didn't catch it, um, kind of deal. Uh, but it's definitely you know, not as bad happens. as say twenty eight. Yeah. Um, um. And then we get the the description. Many years later, he returned to the same spot, desperate enough to try to use the time matrix. The spot had become a construction site. This time there would be no escape. This time ran out just a few yards from the machine that could have given him all of the time in the world. Uh, which is an explicit confirmation that he came back to Earth, or specifically he decided to land on Earth um, after the fighting um, and the destru- destruction of his blade, of his uh, dome ship to find the time matrix to use it to undo something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the confirmation of that desperation in a figure that uh, is pretty much hero-worshipped mm. um, and that kind of regrounding him as just a person yeah. um, is good. That's, yeah, like it a lot. Um, and then we move to the present day, or is it? Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just I'm just a fucking ham. Okay, um, we have Tobias and his usual uh, sort of self-deprecating take on his existence, mm-hmm. describing himself as the strangest creature to ever live. I mean, visually, not so much, my dude, but. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Metaphysically, yeah. Metaphysically, absolutely. Right there with you, kid. Um, But he references, like, the griffin, uh, a centaur, and but goes on to say that those are myths and he's reality, talking about being half human, half hawk, busts out some Latin, uh, but also then, and I think this is maybe since he found out the first time we expressly see him calling himself mm-hmm. uh, Elfangor's son. Mm-hmm. Though he doesn't say Elfangor, but, but that his father was an Andalite. Yeah. And then has the fun pondering of what Andalite would be in Latin. <laughs> so. And we get this really very typical Tobias sort of introspection about uh, is the glass half empty or half full? And. Uh, because he is fantastic, he's like, oh, it depends on the day. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we get the first hint that something is off. Because we get the it depends on when on whether I'm with Melissa, wanting to make her happy, wanting her to hold my hand, wanting to be able to take her to a movie and a burger afterwards, like any other guy can do with a date. Maybe even hold her hand, maybe kiss her, maybe. Yeah, at times like that, the glass is half empty. But there are other times, times when the sun is high and hot, when the cumulus clouds are like gigantic mountains floating through a blue sky. Times when the warm air billows up beneath my wings and I barely have to flap, and all of a sudden I'm so high, so totally, absolutely free. Free in a way I never was as a human. Free to soar and soar alone. Nothing but the sound of the wind ruffling across my feathers. And on those days, the glass is spilling over. This was a full glass day. Let's not think too hard about Tobias's best days or when he's just like fully in the mm-hmm. hawk headspace. Mm-hmm. Yep. Just sad about Tobias hours. <laughs> <clears throat> um, 
And yeah, he is floating, like taking in the sights of the beach and just see all the people having a good day. We get this another small hint that things don't, that something isn't quite right. Um, when Tobias references that it is Axe calls the essence of things DNA. Hmm. And you sort of go, wait. And then amongst the clarification, or not the clarification, of the full explanation as our usual sort of summary of what the situation is, the Irks, the hardest war, that or the last war that humanity might ever fight for a free species, which, given what happens later in the book, clearly a deliberate thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the people... Uh, on a stunning day like this, what I saw out below me was not possible controllers, but people having a nice day at the beach, loving the sun, loving the warmth, taking it easy. And here becomes our wham line. Even the slaves standing by to attend to their masters and mistresses seem to be having a good time. And it's yep. a bit like, where? Uh-huh. Uh... And I'm torn as to whether I should read this chapter because it's like very it's a indicative. pretty solid length, but it, it is indicative. It's only okay. It's two pages, so um, all right. I all don't right. have a problem with it. Just yeah. like this. Because we're going to rip it to shreds afterwards anyway. Best to give our listeners full context yeah, yeah. of why we mad. <clears throat> okay. So we the next chapter is Jake's perspective. Um, <clears throat> Tobias comes into the barn. I gave him a slight nod of the head, but I didn't acknowledge his presence beyond that. Cassie's slave girl was still in the room cleaning out the cage of an injured and very vocal goose. And as Cassie is always reminding us, the fact that a slave may not be as bright as a regular person does not mean they can't tell tales. This particular slave was mostly deaf, which of course partly accounted for her status. But Cassie claimed the girl was otherwise reasonably smart. Cassie grabbed the girl's arm to get her attention. Then, enunciating very clearly, she said, You can go now, September 12. Yes, mistress, the girl mumbled in her guttural, barely understandable speech. She turned and left the room. Uh, Melissa is in the barn as well. Uh, she looks up at Tobias and asks if he's been flying. Tobias is like, yeah, the weather is beautiful. Axe and Marco arrive. Um, Marco's like, why are we having a meeting? Uh, there's some quipping between Melissa, Tobias, and Marco. Melissa apparently is super earnest and naive and believes everything Marco says at face value, which is the one part of this that is fucking hilarious. <laughs> um, then uh, uh, Tobias makes a quip about Marco's mom will be his prom date uh, because apparently Marco's mom is alive. Um Everyone laughed, except Axe, of course, who had no idea what a prom was, or why it would be funny to have your mom as a date. He's not one of us, so what can you expect? Uh, Jake says he has information from the Chi, uh, uh, where the Yerks are putting together a new front organization. Uh, unlike the sharing, it's aimed at a very specific target, specifically the troops being sent to war in Brazil. Cassie made a skeptical face. Why would the Yerks want to make controllers of troops heading toward the jungle? What do they care whether we wipe out a bunch of primitives? Uh, Jake explains that it's not the war they care about. It's that the soldiers in the army are going to have face really harsh conditions um, and therefore be easy to uh, manipulate. Um, and then when they come back from the war, they're going to be in a lot of influential positions. Uh and the Yerks will then have someone in a position of power. Uh, what are we supposed to do about it? Melissa asked. That's thousands of miles away. I shrugged. I don't know, but what are we supposed to do? Sit around while the Yerks destroy the war effort? Let the jungle rats continue to take up valuable land that we need? Yeah, it would be a pity if some of the primitives escaped alive, Cassie said. I shot a look at her. Had that been sarcasm? She smiled blandly. 
I had long suspected that Cassie might have been, might have slightly radical tendencies. A lot of blacks did. Blacks and a lot of Jews, although not in my family. My dad was a certified POE, Patriot of Empire. Still, if you had any Jewish blood in you at all, you had to be extra careful so no one thought you were a radical. I knew Cassie was soft-hearted toward her own slaves, but I'd never heard her make any kind of subversive remarks about the war. I'd always just assumed she was sentimental. Even now, it was impossible to be sure what her tone of voice meant. I'm not very good at that kind of thing. I'm a mostly straightforward kind of guy. It might have been an innocent remark, or not. I felt my stomach churn. We couldn't denounce Cassie as a subversive. We knew for a fact that the Triple S was heavily infiltrated by the Yerks. Denounce her to the Triple S, and we might as well just turn her over to the Yerks, and then all was lost. What was I supposed to do? I intercepted Marco's gaze. He gave a slight nod, an I-told-you-so nod. The question was, where would Melissa stand if it came down to eliminating Cassie? I knew Melissa was no radical, but she was Cassie's best friend, despite being white. I shook my head, trying to focus. The Yerks. They were my problem. Not radicals. If the human race survived the Yerks, we'd all have the time, we'd have all the time in the world to round up the radicals and take care of them. In the meantime, I gave Cassie a blank look, not acknowledging what she might have meant. We have to try to deal with this. Personally, I don't want a world filled with primitives any more than I want a world filled with Yerks. Jungle rats and slugs, Marco said with a laugh. Now there's a nice world for decent people to live in. Wonderful. Wonderful. I love it. The voice was unknown. I spun around, ready to do battle. Standing there, as though it had appeared from thin air, stood a creature who could not possibly be from Earth. It looked, at first glance, like the mating of a small dinosaur and a large prune. It had two legs and balanced its body with a stubby tail. The hands were weak, flimsy things, with too many joints. The head didn't fit with the bird-like body. It was humanoid in shape, with a narrow lower jaw and big, mocking eyes. The skin was wrinkled like a prune. The flesh was dark, almost jet black, relieved, on relieved only by green that rimmed eyes and mouth. Who are you? I snapped. Me? Oh, I'm hurt. Devastated. You don't remember your old friend the Drode? I've never seen you before in my life, I said. Well, no. Not in this life, perhaps. Yerk, Melissa said. Some new host body. Marco, I said. He nodded. He began to slowly morph to Grizzly Bear, his favorite morph. Who are you? Axe demanded. Or should I say, what? The creature grinned. You, at least, are no different, Aximali Escaruth is still. Still the arrogant Andalite. Shut up, Axe, I snapped. I am supreme leader here. I'll ask the questions. Having put one pushy alien in his place, I moved back to the other. What do you want? I demanded. Out of the corner of my eye, I saw Marco changing. The creature sighed. Well, as much fun as it is to see you all this way, I suppose for us to move on, I'll have to return you, temporarily at least, to your usual condition. Sanctimonious, self-righteous, and utterly tedious. There was no flash of light, no bang, nothing changed, except that everything changed. I changed. Suddenly, instantly, I was a different person. I stared at the drode. I knew now who he was, what he was whom he served. Uh, so, there's a lot to unpack here. Let us begin. <laughs> so, you've got in the comments um, that we feel like K.A. is probably shooting for a 1984 sort of vibe. Mm -hmm. This is like a, quote, dark take on where the United States could be in 1999. Right. And I don't have a problem with that as a concept. Right. Same. Like, the notion of there be them being on a dark timeline where things are, like, where it starts off with subtly wrong, Tobias talking about Melissa. Mm -hmm. And, like, they're be going, okay, but where the fuck is Rachel? Mm-hmm. And I mean, we have to address address the elephant in the room. That comes later. <laughs> um, the choice to have the only black character in the Animorphs be the one who has slaves or a slave is a baffling choice to me. Yep. 
it makes no sense. And I appreciate that they may be going for, well, we've got to make this seem as weird and off-putting as possible. Mm-hmm. But, like, having Jake being ready to shop Cassian like that, that's scary and dark and interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and makes it incredibly clear something is very, very wrong. But how Cassie seemed to be like Cassie, but also now she has a slave? That doesn't feel wrong in the same way. That just, you read that and it just goes, no, that's, no. No. Feels like bad writing and it is a misguided aspect of the narrative. Mm hmm from a writing point of view like why would you do that you could have had any of the characters be that if that was the point you really wanted to make because it's not mentioned if any of the other characters families have slaves as well right the only one we know for sure that the narrative tells us is cassie yeah. And that she is sentimental and kinder to her slaves than most people. And even then, she is still like, oh, well, they're more intelligent than you think. Like, that is not how Cassie talks about anyone. Mm-hmm. And it's just so very disorientating for them to have made that choice. And I would love to know why. Mm-hmm. Because, like, yes, well, we, we want to make Cassie seem recognizably Cassie, but also as different as possible, so you know how fucked up this is. I know. Let's give the black character a slave. And I'm not saying that, historically speaking, there were no instances of it happening. Because, you know, it did. Like, but we have to be aware that in a fucking white supremacist society, like, which is what we live in, that choice just is so bad. It's so bad. Like, we barely get any inkling what's going on, how this Marco is different, except for the fact his mum's around. Mm -hmm. Like, you didn't need to do this to make your point yeah it's the 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 core conflict that i have as a reader of this bit Mm. um is this idea of uh once again, we have a, a, a butting of heads between, like, what the authors have the power to do and narratively, like, what makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, of, like, okay, narratively speaking, if you take a child and you put them in a completely different environment, like, if you take a Jake and you raise him... In an entirely white supremacist, fascist dictatorship with completely different history, completely different parents, Mm. Um, and you raise him from birth like that, is it plausible that you get a Jake that is like this? Arguably, yes. Right? But, like, the... The problem is also that, like, there were obviously people who recognized that slavery was very wrong when slavery was still happening. So the implication that they could be raised in a society that thinks slavery is okay and also think that slavery is okay is deeply upsetting with regards to what that says about their characters of yeah. you have made them 
people who would be okay with slavery if slavery were, by and large, okay. Mm. And, like, their children, they... Uh, are just imprints of their parents at this point and like yeah you could make an argument that that they are parroting these beliefs because it's all they know and they just like their brains aren't done cooking yet and they just don't have the amount of critical thought necessary to think about this kind of thing like you could make that argument or you could just have not made that implication in the first place it also begs the question, like, these kids are still fighting the Yerks. Exactly. And it's like, even if they were raised with a certain set of beliefs and to feel a certain way about things, I feel like, oh, well, this kind of enslavement is wrong. And then you would maybe go, huh, this is causing me to question some things about the society we live in. Yeah. Like, if they expressed some doubts about things, or even if it... I, it feels like a swing and a miss, or mm -hmm. they've taken a really big swing to try and do something clearly interesting, and they've missed the implications yeah. of what they've portrayed. Yeah, as so often happens. To, as does happen, and it's admirable to try and do something like... This is a ballsy thing to do in a kid's book. Mm-hmm. And they're clearly portraying this as bad. Yeah. But they clearly did not take the time. And we've talked before about how quickly these books were produced. Mm-hmm. If there'd been, like, another week to sit down and, like, yeah. really get into it, mm -hmm. I feel like maybe they could have cottoned on to it. Yeah. But as it, it stands, it yeah. doesn't it doesn't do what I think they want it to do. No. Cause instead it, of being taken along in the narrative, we're here asking these questions. Yes. Uh and like as a kid, I didn't ask these questions because I was like no. a white liberal middle class kid. And that's kind of the problem. Mm-hmm. Right? Is just like yeah. A lot of kids aren't going to question this. They're going to be like, oh, yes, that's bad. This is clearly the darkest timeline. And like it, it th there's no deeper thinking about that. Right. Like, yeah, like uh, we we have an instance later uh, in the book of some very explicit racism mm -hmm. um, and how just like, see, animals is anti-racism. And it's just like most racism doesn't look like that. It's yeah endemic thing it's microaggressions it's unpacking the way you think about things on the daily yeah. it's not well it's bad to call people that word yes we know mm -hmm. yeah, yeah it's i love this series dearly anti-racist mm -hmm. like specifically working to break down racism mm. is not one of the things i can call it no uh, it, like they're clearly out here doing their best and like they have the best intentions at heart. Um, you know, they're not coming from a like explicitly ra racist perspective, but just like you said, it's about all of the internalized shit that mm. they haven't unpacked. And so it's just mm. like all through their work. And like yeah. it's not, it doesn't manifest in things like, portraying cassie as lesser but mm -hmm. it does manifest in other ways like cassie doesn't seem like a black person a lot of the time um and, and jokes from rachel to marco that mm -hmm. when you think about it oh actually no that's a racist thing to say to somebody of mexican descent yeah uh and i i appreciate it is hard like mm -hmm. actively being anti-racist takes a lot and i appreciate that not everybody is going to be able to do that right off the cuff it does mm -hmm. take work but you can't applaud people for, be for like you say if anything i take this is like 
aracial. Like it's not actively racist, yes. but it's not anti-racist either. Yes, it's ex- it takes an extremely colorblind perspective. Yes, um, with all the problems that entails. Exactly. Yeah, it's it is uh, you know uh, it perfectly embodies that particular kind of white liberalism um, mm-hmm. that is so common. Um, yeah, and this book runs into that a lot. Like. Yeah. When we get to uh, a certain battle later and some of the conversations that are being had, like you read this book and sometimes you feel like, well, it's wrong to punch a Nazi. It's just like, (laughs) is it though? I disagree. (laughs) Disagree. I will, I will punch the Nazi. Okay. Thanks. (laughs) You do you, bro. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and as well as like the glaring misstep, with that I do want to address how much like I pre- it's well written and when we talked what you were saying about mm-hmm. Jake the Jake of this world and the upbringing he mm-hmm. has had to be this person that insists his friends call him supreme leader mm-hmm. like I assume that might be what the leader of the United the, so the, whatever this empire is called in mm-hmm. their world mm-hmm. and it's just like oh now I have power I'm supreme leader for us. Yes. But leaving that aside, and I appreciate that in the 20 years since this book was written, terminology has changed. Mm -hmm. But having a child who is meant to be like a character we empathize with talk so dismissively, and I know it's meant to evoke fascism. I know this, but I do not want to hear one of my 13-year-old heroes refer to people as a lot of blacks and a lot of Jews, though not in my family. That made me so viscerally uncomfortable to read. Yep. As I I touched on it, I didn't want Jake being canonically Jewish confirmed like this. Okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we're the good ones. Like, not all Jews. She's mm-hmm. like, clearly K.A. are trying to make a commentary here, but fuck, I wish they hadn't done it like that. Yeah. Because I hate it. Yeah. I, I'm i caught in this weird space of like, you know, I wish that they had, they had had the space and the time to like actually give this the the narrative weight that it deserves as opposed to mm. like it mostly feels like it's here for shock value and it kind of is yes. like it's intended to make you immediately feel this is extremely wrong and they need to fix it right because yes. it's a it's a plot hook for a book that's for children um mm. it it isn't they don't have that much uh page space right yeah but it, it leaves me feeling like, oh, I wish they had devoted more pages to this. But also, I desperately do not want them to, to devote more pages to this. <laughs> it's- and, I th- th- and I think what is frustrating is because the hints here, there are ways they could have done this and portrayed that wrongness without leaning into these grosser aspects mm-hmm. of it. Like the presence of Melissa in the mm-hmm. core group. But no Rachel. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. The fact that Marco's favorite morph is a grizzly bear. I'm here just like, what does it mean? I don't <laughs> get to find out. And I'm mad about it. But it's like, is Marco the berserker in the group now? What yeah. does this mean? Give me the fucking, please tell me there is fic. Well, actually, I don't know if I want fic. But the notion of seeing the dark world and these kids still fighting the good fight. Mm-hmm. But what that looks like, yeah. incredibly interesting to me. Yeah, it's there. There does exist some fic. Uh, one of my favorite Animorphs fic writers, uh, Darren, uh, wrote a rationalist AU um, mm-hmm. uh, from Cassie's point perspective. And so when they got to this book, they were like, "All right, fuck, <laughs> this is going to be really fucking hard." <laughs> Um, 
And they, they did. They spent several chapters developing this and like, and, and stuff like that. And the characters deal with that throughout the thing where, you know, you actively having people think like, what does it mean that in this other life, I was a slave owner? Yeah. And the right? fact like, that th this is not addressed by the kids. Right. Like once, um, and to be fair, I'm always going to be happy when the drone shows up because <laughs> I love that little asshole so much. <laughs> But, like, never have I been quite so glad. Just, oh, thank fuck. You're just like, well, this is hilarious, but I need to talk to the actual animorphs. <laughs> okay. But they remember everything. It would be mm -hmm. different if they didn't. But yeah. the fact that they are acutely aware and assumably have 13 years yep. of memories mm -hmm. of living in that world. And as we find out at the end, all these time matrix shenanigans that occur... They remember everything. Mm-hmm. All of it. Ah! Yep. Yeah. Which ah, is just I like, say. just absolute fridge horror. Like, mm -hmm. it, it, it's a horrifying concept. And I wish yeah. it was acknowledged even a little bit. Yeah, for the horror that it is. Like, we get a couple of instances later in the book of various members of the team being like, I was never able to forget that. Mm -hmm. But we don't hear anything about how fucked up. Like, are we ever going to hear about Jake having ramifications of being ready to turn in his friends? No. Right. Or is this just an upsetting foreshadowing that comes to choices Jake makes later? Because we know Jake will do the hard thing. It's mm -hmm. just in our world or the world they used to live in, the hard thing is morally right with us, the reader. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. That's what's so frustrating. Like it asks really interesting questions. Mm hmm. But then doesn't follow up with them. Yeah. And so you're left being like, did you ask that question on purpose? Mm-hmm. Or did you just throw this in here for shock value and not think through the ramifications of it? And yeah. it's pretty much the latter. Um, yeah. And uh, as we've said before, there are a variety of reasons why that would have happened. But also... That doesn't you know, excuse it. Yeah. Would have been nice if an editor would have done anything about it. Mm -hmm. But they're like, hey, K.A., this actually asks a question. Did you want to, like, even got to the point of taking the question out if they weren't prepared to answer mm -hmm. it or didn't have the time and space to answer it. Yeah. Yeah. But let, let's, let's get in. Um, our favorite asshole alien henchman is here. <laughs> um, having a great time, frankly. Yeah. Um, Rachel's and, back. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and the drone is ecstatic because she's his favorite. Mm -hmm. Marco's like morphing back, just like okay. So what was that? And the drone explains, no, 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 not hallucination. It is glorious reality. Big Jake, Jake the perfect leader, Jake the compassionate, nothing more than a jumped-up little dictator with delusions of grandeur who insists on being called supreme leader. And Cassie's like, no, that's not reality. I don't understand. That's sickening. And they're all disgusted. Yes. And Rachel's just like, where was I? We get a couple of that before we find out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and Jake admits, I was thinking about how I'd have to turn Cassie in for not approving of some war. That's not reality. And the Joe's like, I will tell you about reality. Your country is an empire ruled by terror and torture. It has made war on the nations to the south. It slaughters people it calls primitives. It enslaves anyone with an IQ below 80, as well as anyone born with what you call defects. All in all, it's my kind of place. And Marco's just like, that's bull. 
And the droid goes on to explain, I assure you it's all true. The Yerks are within months of consolidating control. The lack of freedom among humans has made their conquest ever so much easier. Your few books, your two radio stations, your single television channel are all censored. Your technology is 50 years behind where it should be. Poverty is widespread. Curable diseases run rampant. Some women are forced to breed to repopulate the dominant white race, while at the same time, in the major cities, the poor and homeless are rounded up and shot. And Rachel cuts him off uh, offering to Jake to take care of it and Jake just wants to understand what's going on unsure if he should take Rachel I said mm-hmm. I asked I wasn't at all sure I wouldn't take Rachel up on her offer mm-hmm. um, and before we get on to the droids explanation I do want to talk a little bit about this reality because I, I yeah. know I we you highlighted it and I carried mm-hmm. on of what white liberals of the late 90s considered to be the worst reality. Yep. Because it sure as fuck sounds a lot like 2022. Yep. It's, it, it is scarily prescient in the same mm-hmm. way that V for Vendetta is. Yes, very much so. Like, um, I try to watch V for Vendetta once a year, and every mm-hmm. time I watch it, I'm just like, Oh, fuck. Yeah. Uh, and Alan Moore, weird wizard man. Mm. Mm-hmm. As, I, as I've referenced before, that, that meme of the dodge the dodgeball stalk photo, uh-huh. which is like Apollo with the gift of prophecy, just uh-huh. like ready to punt some kid in the face. Yep. Um, one thing I can put in our, in our comments is like, what this feels like is it's very like I said the quiet part loud mm-hmm. version of the US because mm-hmm. I think most people at this point are very aware of how imperialist countries act mm-hmm. misdeeds that not just the United States I'm certainly not trying to like go oh well the States is the worst place in the world because I live in the UK Currently, Turf Island, with its own incredibly bloody, messy colonialist history, it yeah. bad. We're just following like, the footsteps of our parents. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> but I do appreciate that what this feels like is like going. Okay, what are all the bad things that actually the U.S. already does do? Mm-hmm. But let's make it if they didn't bother keeping it a secret. Yeah, turn it up to eleven. Exactly. Break the knob off the dial. Mm-hmm. Especially like in the tail end. I say the tail end. That's wishful thinking. But when we've seen like government responses to COVID mm-hmm. and uh, the ongoing, the increasing uh, threat of uh, Russia going to war with Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And it's like we're seeing live how little governing bodies care about their citizens. And it's um, it's full mask off. Just like, yeah. Okay. And you see people like a boy, oh yeah, let's give the Ukraine I don't even know what. So just like, yeah, let's support X in their conference. I'm just like, do you not remember the last time we got involved in a war that wasn't our business? Because mm-hmm. we're still having repercussions from that. And it's like, uh, bah. I like this is their dark reality because it is not very far away from where we are. Yeah. It's not in completely impossible. No. In the same way like V for Vendetta, like you were saying, is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the droid explains that the reason all of this is happening is that a human controller host named john berryman that's uh, so close to john barrowman every time i know i know um uh, a controller whose yerk was until he lost the battle for lyra none other than visser four and why did he lose the battle for Lyra? Why? Because of all of you. Ironic, eh? Um, the former Visser 4 has used the Time Matrix 
Uh, he's traveled back in time and he's changing major historical events. Um, he's rewritten the past in an attempt to bring about a Yerk victory and give himself greater power. Uh, <laughs> you, the other yous, are unaware that life was ever any different. You have all been raised in an environment of delightfully ferocious oppression. It's all quite wonderful. Um, and the Drode says that he's here to offer the Animorphs the chance to undo all of it. He wants to, quote unquote, help. Um, and everyone's like... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm just imagining the drone like that slimy lawyer that used to be in The Simpsons a lot, just like turning up, like <laughs> representing bigger, more powerful things. Just like, ugh. Mm-hmm. Well, you know. Yeah. There's something delightful about a chaotic, and I do think like the drone is a chaotic, evil character mm-hmm. being forced to be lawful. Mm-hmm. Just like, ah, I love fuckery. I would like to cause as many problems. What do you mean we have to play by rules? <laughs> Fine. Yeah. I guess. Um, but the kids immediately like, it's Krayak that wants help. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is not the way it's meant to go. Because the Yerks should not have the most powerful device in history. Because it's not like... The Kray- that Krayak wants the Time Matrix. Krayak don't need it. Neither does the Elemist. We know they can fuck with timelines and have. I do get this. I do love this. One, we get a couple of really good insights from Marco in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, this Time Matrix could endanger Krayak himself. The Drode laughed. Don't be a fool. Nothing threatens great Krayak. However... <laughs> One doesn't want mere baboons wandering around with time matrices, does one? Who knows what harm they might do? Oh, sure, it's all fun and games when they end up starting genocidal wars or engendering race hatred. Yeah, what's more fun than that? Rachel said dryly. But who knows what other damage a fool with such power may do? Mm-hmm. So. It's, um, uh... Mm-hmm. Go on. So... Uh, Jake's like, well, why doesn't Krayak just grab it himself? Um, and Drode's like, well, so, like, neither the Elemist nor Krayak trust the other one to actually interfere directly in this because they'll just grab the Time Matrix and give it to one of their allies. So, obviously, they can't just interfere themselves. So, like everything, they have to work by proxy. Um, and, uh, because they don't want, they don't want the Yerks to have unilateral power to do whatever the fuck they want. Because I get the feeling that like Krayak thinks that the Yerks with the Time Matrix would fuck up his larger game. Yeah, nah. I feel like it's like you don't want your underlings to have you. It, it, like I think uh, the kids observe the Yerks with the Time Matrix could be a threat to him and mm-hmm. or at the very least his machinations but that's mm-hmm. important to him mm-hmm. it's like they might be his pieces on the chessboard but he doesn't want them making their own choices mm-hmm. yes like they would become too unpredictable with that kind of power yeah i also want to give a quick shout out because you were reading a part of it uh which is tobias Mm-hmm. who calls out what it, it calls it as he sees it and is right and this just way uh the drode is dismissive of tobias i find interesting mm-hmm. like upsetting and enraging but in the way the narrative is meant to make me feel because mm-hmm. clearly the drode knows what tobias's deal is mm-hmm. and just like the way even in subtle little ways the drode plays on the kids' insecurities, or the not-so-subtle ways. Mm-hmm. But he's clearly very good at what he does. There's a lot of verbal mystery, like sleight of hand with him. Mm-hmm. And like having the position of being the outside narrator's reading it, it's just like, oh, that's clever. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's explained that uh, the kids' atoms will be tuned, 
It's the best way he can think to explain it so they'll comprehend. Um, so they resonate with the time matrix and will be able to keep their memories and personalities not only protected from the changes, but also be able to move between, uh, when they move between the timelines, they'll be, mm -hmm. uh, be able to stay themselves. Uh, I do love the description of resulting in the effect that like an echo, you will follow the time matrix. It plucks the cords of time and you reverberate. And he, he stops and shook his head in affirmation, in admiration of his own words. Brilliantly explained, eh? Just like, that is a fantastic explanation, not to give mm -hmm. the little shithead credit, but that's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> so, um, uh, okay, so that's it. We have to go stop this from happening and you'll make sure that we w we'll be able to keep our own. Sorry, I thought a cat was throwing up behind me. Um, it's all good. Um, but there is a price that comes with this deal. Which Cassie um, knows instinctively. Yeah. Uh, the drode laughed. Oh, yes, there is something else, little Cassie. Cassie, the killer with a conscience. Kill him, then cry over him. That's our Cassie. What's that something else, I repeated, not letting the evil little creep see that his words had hit home. My master, Krayak, has demanded a price. A payment. A payment. Uh-huh, the drode said in a parody of coyness. What? One of you, the drode said. You can attempt to save your reality, put everything back where it belongs, end slavery, replace tyranny with democracy, millions of lives saved, let freedom ring, glory hallelujah, in exchange, in exchange for one single life. A life, I asked. The life of one of you. That is my master Krayak's price. One of you must die. We uh, stay with Cassie's perspective mm -hmm. as we move into the next chapter. And Marco immediately is yelling. Mm -hmm. This is insane. I've said things were insane before, but this is totally obscene. And it's immediately like shooting the gro drode down. Mm -hmm. um, and Cassie's like, well, now if we don't do anything, we go back to that reality. Rachel at this point is still asking <laughs> why she wasn't there. Mm -hmm. uh, and the drode all too happily tells her, oh, uh, you, a violence-prone sociopath, you were in a re-education camp. This world has little room for bold, aggressive females. You were being taught your place. Rachel, Say what? My what? Just like Rachel continues to be just, we love. Um, yeah. But they're given two minutes to make a decision uh, before they're just released back into the this new dark reality and the kids uh, start hashing it out yeah and jake's immediate position is well okay we've got to fix it mm -hmm. uh and yeah jake's just like axe points out like one of us will die and jake's like there's not really a choice here Millions of live versus one, not even a question. And Marco uh, continues to say, this isn't our fight, we sit this one out. And Rachel is pissed at Marco. What? And I go back to some re-education camp and slavery is back and we're murdering natives down in the jungle or whatever? I don't think so. I can't believe even you could be this much of a weasel. But Rachel was wrong. It hadn't dawned on her yet, or maybe on the others. But I know Jake. There was only one life that Jake would trade away like this. Marco, too, knows Jake very well. There was a history between Jake and the evil force called Krayak. It was Jake, more than any of us, who destroyed the Howlers and saved the Iskjort, two terrible blows against Krayak. Jake assumed that he would be the one to die. Marco had seen this instantly. He wasn't arguing in favor of the awful future we'd seen. He was arguing for the life of his best friend. Uh, and Marco continues to argue. He's not like he's he's not making really strong arguments. Mostly, it seems like he's just trying to eat up the two minutes that they have in order to make it so that they 
don't get the chance to make the decision or not. Um, it's and- interesting to see that flip side. Like we've talked before about what happens when the kids have time to make choices. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting with Marco here is that he's trying to stop the choice from having to happen. Mm-hmm. Marco is so good in this book. Mm-hmm. I just, I cry. Yep. Yep. The characterization um, in this book, just as mm, a whole, is super is, on point. It's incredible. Um, but... They and they're they're talking about well, okay, what does stopping Visifor even do? We have to undo whatever changes he makes. And Marco's like, okay, well, it's not that's not simple. Where do you think he's going to go? He's going to go to wars, I guarantee. Um, but how do we know it won't be our actions that cause problems? Mm-hmm. Um, Mark and Tobias is just like time travel too complex, too many possibilities. Jake calls for a vote and Marco is still stalling, which Cassie sees for exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have this moment, uh, like Tobias is in because he's like as bad a feeling as he has. We can't blow this off. And Cassie states that uh, she would rather die than be a slave owner. But, and she lets it hang. She can't look at Jake, but Marco is staring at her and he wants to know that she understands and she meets his eyes and she nods. But, and it's just like, and we have this bit of text. I wanted to explain. Jake meant more to me than anyone in the world. He meant as much to me as my own parents, but I couldn't walk away from this. The society we just glimpsed. No, whatever the price we paid, we had to stop. And Marco smiles a small, sad, half-smile, accepting my verdict. And I die. Yep. Axe is going where Jake goes. Also, I do like there is the detail of, also, I would like to see the time matrix. (laughs) Rachel, of course, is like, someone's going to teach me my place. Yeah, right. Uh, and she, I like this detail. Of she laughs at her own swagger. Mm-hmm. It's just like I love that it acknowledges that awareness that Rachel has of herself there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we get Marco like playing out the role he's expected to be. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, oh well, why don't okay, my votes. We go home, watch fifty t- and watch TV. Fifty channels. There's got to be something on. And Jake like. I don't think so. The droid says there was only one channel in that reality. One, Marco said, shouting, shaken. One. Well then, Vissa 4 is my meat. Uh, unanimous, Jake said, smiling in amusement at Marco. Marco turned away from Jake. The grin disappeared. He looked like he wanted to cry. Our eyes met again, and not for the first time I realized how smart Marco is underneath all the jokes. He knew we were going to do it. He knew his best friend's life might be the price we paid. He also knew we couldn't go into this hopeless battle thinking about nothing but that single terrible fact. I leaned close to Marco so that only he could hear and took his hand in mine. Kryak is not going to have him. Marco nodded and he squeezed my hand. You got that right. So it's a unanimous vote. Rachel's just like, okay, so I want to pack some clothes. Get some things, um, but before uh, there's any chance, they are all uh, suddenly somewhere else. As we yeah. move on, uh, move to a different point in time. Mm-hmm. I'm so emotional about Marco. Yeah, it's uh, I. <laughs> I said last book that the bit of like Cassie and Marco carrying Jake home mm-hmm. was like peak Cassie Jake Marco content. But like this right here mm-hmm. is yeah. is the absolute summit. It is it is the best quality shit. Mm-hmm. Just like two people knowing exactly what the person they both love, in regardless what way you may view said love. Mm-hmm. Just like accepting, we know what Jake is like, and it is that whole protecting Jake from himself. 
mm-hmm. energy too. Like Cassie is his moral compass, his tether to humanity, so he doesn't forget. Marco thinks the horrible thoughts and suggests the plans. He does think all the horrible things through. And it's just like, they care about him so much. Mm-hmm. And just like, the fact that they both have such rapid insight and yeah. like, and Marcos is just like instantly, the second he heard somebody's going to have to die, he knew Jake would be like, well, that's me. Yeah. I'm the one that dies, obviously. Let it be known I am squinting across time and space at a certain gentleman who is in Dumb Kids Playing Hero, and I'm like, mm. <laughs> mm. Richard, don't listen to this. Don't know if you're getting ideas. <laughs> you have enough horrible ideas all by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.